Welcome to Run This World. My name is Nicole DeBoom. I'm a former pro athlete turned entrepreneur. Each week, I'll bring you insights and inspiration from some of the world's greatest visionaries who will help you run your world in ways that you didn't even realize were possible. All in the framework of the amount of time it takes for the average person to run a 5K. That's 36 minutes and 38 seconds, give or take a mile. We often go long, so get ready. Thank you for spending some time with me today. Now let's get this workout started. Hey everyone, welcome to episode nine of Run This World. Today we get to speak with Gunhild Swanson, the oldest woman to ever finish the Western States race. It's a hundred mile running race on incredibly tough terrain. She finished the race in 2015 at age 70 with six seconds to spare. You need to watch the video, so check out the show notes on NicoleDeBoom.com. I put a link up there to her video. I cry every time I see it. I know you're going to be just as inspired. Today, you get to hear all about the details from her perspective of her incredible day and more, including the power of cheering, what it feels like to get nanad, how last can be most inspirational, Uh, Don't ever underestimate the importance of speed workouts, even in a 100-mile race. And most importantly, the power of willing the body to do what the mind commands of it. So with that, let's bring her on. All right, everyone. I have a very special guest on the show today. Her name is Gunhild Swanson. Welcome to the show. Oh, welcome. I'm so privileged to be on your show. Well, I, after our listeners hear from you, they are going to feel more privileged than they've ever felt before, and they're also going to want to get out the door and run. Um, and, you know, I've thought about how do I start this interview, and I think with you, we just have to get going with your latest hero story. So you know how, you know, your hero story is kind of the thing that you culminate a talk with, and in your case... I think we need to get going and, and kick it off that way. Um, I actually, a friend of mine, when I when I launched this podcast, a friend of mine said, you have got to interview Gunhild. She's incredibly inspirational. I said, why? And she goes, just watch this video. And I watched your finish at the Western States last year. And uh, I actually started crying. And every time I've showed it to someone, I cry every single time. And it's like 15 seconds long and... There's nothing crazy that happens in it, but it's just the idea that you completed something um, that maybe you didn't even think might be possible and no one had ever done before. Uh, that is, to me, true inspiration. So do you see I kind of left people hanging? I didn't tell what it was that you completed because I want you to kind of get out, get it out here and, and introduce yourself to our listeners with your big hero story, your Western States run last year. Oh my goodness. That was quite the excitement. And needless to say, my life has just kind of changed, turned upside down ever since that with all the publicity and everything. But at the time I ran Western States, uh, 10 years before and uh, set a record for 60 and over. And that, by the way, that record still stands. Woohoo! And, <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, oh, I'm done with the hard ones. 
I can do, you know, another hundred, but I, the Western States is really hard on the body and it takes such dedicated training. So, and then I turned 70. <laughs> How did and that happen? How did that happen? All of a sudden it was like, what if? Nobody's done this before. And I know ladies, famous, famous ladies like Helen Klein that have attempted it and timed out. And I thought, you know, what if? So I set about entering the race and um, I didn't actually get picked in the lottery and I didn't get special consideration. So um, I was out. I it wasn't going to happen. And I had petitioned, you know, to let me in because of what I was trying to do. And they, I was told age is not a criteria for special consideration. So I was all sad. And then a week later, I, somebody, a friend said, are you on Facebook? And I said, no, well, get on Facebook. Your name is being mentioned. And it turned out that a sponsor to the race, evidently, if you give them a bunch of money and sponsorship fees, then, then you get a ticket, which you can use any way you want for yourself or someone else or whatever. Uh, that sponsor had decided that he wanted to award it to a master's or older runner and female. And um, <laughs> the sponsor said he collaborated with his mom. So when the race director uh, directed several names of people that might fit the criteria and that were not picked in the lottery, submitted that to the to the sponsor, they picked me. So a year after, I mean, a week after, you know, it, the lottery was over and everything done, all of a sudden I'm in. <laughs> wow. So half the battle is getting in the lottery. <laughs> oh, yes. Yes, it is. So it was, you know, I was, of course, over the top and uh, then started training. I actually, for the first time in my life, hired a coach to help me because I knew my normal just going out the door running wasn't going to cut it. And I'm for this particular event, I would need the help of an experienced ultra runner that knew me, knew my mindset, my capacity, my capacity for work and all that, and to help me guide me through. And that's what happened. So I got to the starting line and oh gosh, Already the pressure was on. There were people, oh, I was in the ultra running magazine. I was featured as one of the people to watch. And there happened to be an article about me in the paper. That copy of the magazine was handed to everybody in their uh, packet pickup. So I was already being recognized because there's pictures in there. Also, I was one of the top 10 women to look for, you know, people to watch. And I knew none of this going in to this race and at the pre-race mandatory meeting um, they always introduce the top 10 men and women at the end of all their speechifying and welcoming the board and all of this other good stuff the charitable stuff that goes on and their medical studies it's all part of the pre-race meeting so I'm a <laughs> this is kind of indelicate because I had to excuse myself to go to the bathroom. I was way back in the crowd sitting in this hot room. So I had to go through and go out. And by the time I got done and came back into the auditorium, I um, 
there was just the, the introduction of the top runners was left to do. And I thought, yeah, you know, I, do I want to stay? And I couldn't go back to the seats. So I stood in the open in the doorway with a bunch of other people. And I thought, yeah, I'll, I'll wait. I'll watch. You know, I'll see who the top dogs are this year. They're starting to call out names to come up front on the stage and to get introduced. And about four or five names in, I hear my name. And I'm going, oh, my God. Oh, my God. I can't believe this. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. What do I do? So I make my way to the stage and I stand there in line with all these super incredible women runners. And then we were told by the MC, the race director, to, as our name is being called, to take a step forward. And then and then he will give this little biography or whatever. And the very first name to be called was mine. And I'm, I'm just quaking. I'm just going like a you know, deer caught in the headlights. I go, oh, my God. You know, so I step forward, and uh, the race director introduces me by name. And, uh, and then what I was going to attempt to do was to be the first 70-year-old woman to finish Western States and thereby set an age record. And it's like... You see the pictures, you know, on, on TV with with somebody standing there and there's all the paparazzi and it goes click, 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 flash, 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 you know. And that is going on and I'm standing there and I, <laughs> I am so totally unprepared for that. It was just funny. It was really funny. That is so, amazing. I'm almost imagining like, wait, did you have toilet paper stuck to your foot? <laughs> like, did you put your last minute lip gloss on? How, how did it go? Oh, it went all right. And no problem. But it was I was just totally overwhelmed. And of course, you're supposed to be bringing one person, one of your pacers or crew into the meeting with you because there's not enough room for all your crew and everybody. Well, my son and great and grandson were two of my pacers and my third pacer is a good friend. And my son had already been there 10 years before, so he knew the drill, you know, of the pre-race mandatory meeting. And so he said, well, Dave, my friend, should just go in. Well, Dave couldn't find the place. And when I went in, and he never made it inside the meeting. So there was nobody there of my people to witness all of this. And when I came out, they were all outside and I just, oh my God, you guys can't believe what just happened. <laughs> it was just crazy. Oh my gosh. And they missed it all. Good Lord. You, well, it's kind of a good thing. This all happened at the last minute because you couldn't think too hard about it and the days and weeks leading up. I know it was good. And I got to the start and everything was fine. And, uh, and I got to wear the race number 70, which is what I requested to reflect my age. Great. So in the morning, we kind of gathered before the start in this room and they have coffee and they have breakfast stuff there for those that want to eat. And everybody just kind of gathers. And I say hi to a couple of runners and one that, you know, look, the guy that looked really fast and quick and I'm wishing him the best. And, and I cannot recall if it was the guy that eventually Rob Carr that won the race or not, but he, it, it might've been, but 
he's, and he says, I'm just going to be in the back hoping to finish. And he says, hey, man, you earned this. You're, you are here, and you're as good as anybody else. And we're like, oh, okay. <laughs> so wow. with that, I start, and my adventure begins. And before I go too far on this, I need to say I got all the glory because of that spectacular finish, which I'll reiterate here in a minute or explain. But I was number 254 out of 254 runners. And I always felt that the front runners or everybody ahead of me somehow got shortchanged in a way. Each and every one of those people that crossed the finish line worked their damn butt off to get there. They had good times. They had bad times. They had struggles. They had to have friends and family support them and, and spend all kinds of money to get there and to do this. And they crossed the finish line. They deserved, in my opinion, every much of the recognition that I got. So I just accept all of that on everybody's behalf. You know, I think that's what makes you so special is because you are sitting here not just, you know, basking in your accolades, but giving everybody else um, kudos for the job well done. Yeah. And then to come to the finish, of course, I, you know, I was pretty slow early going and I was over the 30 hour mark. They give you expected times to arrive at an aid station if you're going to be a 24-hour runner or sub-24 or a 30-hour runner. And then beyond that, there's a grace period and then there's a cutoff at which at some aid stations, if you miss that cutoff, you're out of the race, done. They, they cut off your little bracelet and you're done. So you, I was always chasing that cutoff early on because it was hot and kind of weird people were suffering out there the first 30 miles and i passed people flaked out in a creek or under a tree trying to to cool down and we weren't even in the canyons yet so i just kind of thought oh i'm just going to take it easy and go so i was close to the cutoffs then once i got to like Forest Tail, once my son started pacing me, I was able to gain time because there were nice, easy, runnable sections where you could go downhill a lot and you stretch the legs. And so life was good. I was gaining time and getting under the 30-hour expected, you know, time. And slowly by, you know, eight station by eight stations, I kind of gained a few more minutes. So I was, I was good. So then... During the night at Rucky Chucky, which is a big river crossing that's kind of oh, hip deep, sort of, and you go through and you go hand over hand on a cable. And it happens in the middle of the night for me, like at 2.30 or 3 o'clock in the morning. And my grandson took over, 15 years old at the time, and he took over at that particular spot to run me from 82 to 94, 93 and a half miles, which would be the next handoff for a pacer. And during that section, we did really good. And I have to tell something about my grandson. Turlan is his name. 
and we had crossed the river, went up a hill, and it was kind of a power walk sort of a hill on a dirt road kind of for a stretch. And we were passing some people, and we passed somebody again, and he leans over to me, and he says, Nana, that guy just got Nana'd. Sure. <laughs> I love it. Oh, that is awesome. <laughs> I just got, I says, well, is that kind of like getting chicked? And he says, oh, way better. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love him. Honestly, I have never heard of someone being paced by a grandchild. Some people occasionally being paced by their children, but that's even rare. This is incredible what you're doing, bringing your whole family into the process. Oh, it was a once in a lifetime thing. I can tell you that. Um, so you- on we go. We get to the next A station. We're good. And then it gets to be morning and we just turn off our headlights and stow them. And my grandson is kind of beside me or leading me and we're going on. Well, he had taken over in the middle of the night. And during the night, you follow your lights shine on the tapes that are reflective. And the other tapes, the little flags that are hanging on everything, they're just plain old yellow construction color type flags, you know. And once the lights were off, we had nothing reflective to go by. And I really, I didn't think to tell him, we now just look for the yellow ribbons. And we come up out of this trail. It was, I don't know, 80 some miles into it, 80 three, four, five, whatever. I can't, I don't know. And we're supposed to make a right. And it is marked. There are nice yellow ribbons right there and we're supposed to turn. I made the most rookie mistake, two mistakes. We come out at this T intersection. We're supposed to make a sharp right, but the main trail sort of goes left, the bigger one. Well, to our left were two guys going up. So what, without looking, we both turned and followed those two runners. And we go about a mile and a half till we come out on a paved road and it says Auburn Lakes Trails and it's a big, huge, gated trailhead. And uh-oh, <laughs> we're off. Back down the trail we go. I sent my grandson ahead. You find the ribbons where, we're, where we went off trail and then you come back toward me. So he does that. That gives him something to do. It wasn't his fault. It was my fault. Totally. Like I said, rookie mistake. I followed another runner. You never, ever, ever, ever do that. You always look for the marking. And if there isn't a marker, you don't turn, you don't anything. Or if there isn't a marker and you come to an intersection, then you have to go back to where you find your last marker so that obviously you took a wrong turn. So there are, (laughs) there is stuff in place that you follow and I didn't do that so off we went by that time I think I must have lost about I don't know I figure about 45 minutes based on people that were near me and that arrived at the next aid station and then I didn't arrive there until a whole lot later so I told my grandson I says Trulon I can't do this I'm I'm not going to be able to make up this time when we get to the Highway 49 crossing, which is six and a half miles from the finish, I says, I'm, I'm, I'm going to quit because I, I just can't 
can make up the time. I had three more significant climbs to make on trails, rocky, tough. And he turns around to me, gets his angry face on, Nana, quit talking like that. I'm going to get you there. You just follow me. And off he goes. And I do my best just to follow him, to stay behind him at a pace that he sets. And I struggle and I, and I just hang right on to him and we go. And he gets me to the Highway 49 with just barely making it through that aid station. I mean, there was the cutoff time and I might have been a couple minutes ahead of the cutoff. I was definitely over the 30-hour threshold but by that time, the threshold and the cutoff are pretty narrow because in the end, it's zero, right? So anyways, um, I had determined in my head that, okay, if I get cut, then it's not my fault. I will have done my best. But if I quit voluntarily thinking that I can't make it to that finish in the allotted time, then I'll never forgive myself and I will have disappointed my grandson, my son, my family, my friends that were down there to help. I just, I, I can't do that. I just can't do that. So I just put my head down and keep going. The exchange at that aid station went really quick. I just went right through. And um, my new friend, Pacer Dave, took over and he says, listen, we can do this. Just follow me. And he started to just talk me through it. See that tree up ahead that's leaning? All right, it's downhill. Run to there. Okay. And I got to the tree, and I kept on running. He says, way to go. That's that's doing it. Okay. And we go, and he, you know, just, just kind of coached me. And then we got to the Highway 49. No, we crossed that. We got, oh, No Hands Bridge is, is another aid station that you, you kind of have a downhill, and you get to cross this river beautiful beautiful place and there were some people cheering me on and then you have a big huge trail uphill climb until you get to the very last aid station with 1.3 miles to go once you get off the trail onto the road in auburn on your way to the track to the finish so i'm trying to climb and it's blazing hot by that time and we're right in the sun and I'm just faltering I'm just like oh god and then as I'm trudging up just before I get to the aid station and my my son grandson and my friends and everybody was waiting there because from that point on to the finish anyone can join you and you can just kind of make it a parade going to the end which is what happened but they a guy from the aid station came down about 100 yards or so with a bucket of ice water and a sponge and started hosing me down to cool me off. And he said, come on, push, 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 go. Get to the top, and of course there's more uphill. And it's paved, but it's up, 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 up. And people saying, run, just run, keep running. Oh, God, yeah, I'm trying. I'm doing the best I can. <laughs> I discovered in photos later on that I was the very last person to make it up through because the people on the horses, the sweepers, were right smack behind me. <laughs> There's photos of me with the horses just a few steps behind. It's I'm, like a real parade. <laughs> <laughs> well, they only went as far as, as to the pavement. But then from there... You know, these people gather around me and people start 
just coaching me, hollering at me. Next thing I know, the guy that won the race, Rob Carr, more than, you know, 15 hours ago, <laughs> he is... He's sitting there on the side of the road in the, with his wife and some friends, and they were going to watch the last people come in. It's what they call the golden hour, anybody within the last hour, and it's kind of a special time, and people hang around to see what goes on in the golden hour. So here I come, and he falls in beside me, and he starts talking to me. And instead of just sitting in his chair and, and cheering, he, he just kind of runs along. And he runs all the way to the finish with me, only peeling off on the track at the turn where everybody else kind of peeled off so I could go through the finish. I'm being told things like, there's shade up ahead of you. Run through the shade. And then you're going around a bend, and there's going to be more uphill around the bend. So prepare yourself for that and run. And my mind is like totally blank. All I do is I hear voices. I have no idea how close I am to not making it. I have no idea how close I am to the track. I am just going. I am just listening to the voices and following orders. At one point, I want to, I'm gasping, and you know how you put your hands on your hips and you bend forward and you go, and I'm yelled at, get your hands off your hips and move, pump your arms. To this day, anytime I'm making a steep climb and I'm walking and I hear that voice telling me, pump your arms, get your hands off your hips. It was just hilarious, except I was just numb to everything else. And I'm moving and moving and moving, and I never once stopped to walk that whole 1.3 miles. I mean, running is a kind of a relative word at that point, because I know I'm not going very fast, but I'm taking running steps rather than just hiking. Finally, we hit the downhill there's a short downhill and then you take a right onto the track through a gate and you get on the track and you go around three quarters of the way and you finish when i'm approaching the downhill somebody says here's your downhill you need to stretch your legs you need to run hard so i'm running hard i'm stretching my legs and i'm doing what i'm told then i a voice tells me Okay, you're going to turn into the track, you are out of downhill, and you're going to feel like slowing down. Don't. Use that downhill momentum all the way around the track. Okay, so I'm getting on the track. Somebody yells at me, grab the inside lane. It's all, you know, it makes sense, but I would have probably not thought to do that. And there's a guy, a friend and out of this whole entourage around me, who is right to my left, half a step ahead of me. And when I hear the words, grab the inside lane, my left arm goes out. <laughs> it blocks him so I can get past him to grab that inside lane. It was just that automatic. <laughs> instinct. <laughs> it was instinct. Once I make it around the curve, you know, and I see the time, I see the clock. That's the first time I realized just how close I am. And, and what I did, knew what did the clock sprint. say at that moment? You know, I can't remember. All I knew is I know I can make it. I have done track workouts through my coaching for this whole time. My feet knew what to do. My brain knew what to do. And don't ever 
discount that in a 100-mile race, getting track speed is not important or, or doing track workouts in training is not important because it saved my butt that day. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great. So I'm just looking up at the clock and I'm kicking in as hard as I can and I cross the line with six seconds to spare. So for the listener, my final time, the last finisher, 29 hours, 29 minutes and 54 seconds. Oh my gosh. Okay. I truly believe this was the most dramatic finish I've ever seen in an event like this. I mean, that is like less than uh, a, a thousandth of a second if you're talking about a 50 freestyle sprint. I mean, this is a hundred mile race over 30 hours and you made it by six seconds. That's right. Oh my goodness. So what, okay. What was the voice you kept hearing? Were they literally just people's voices or was it like, was it made up in your head? What was this voice? No, those were people around me talking to me. Um, I know, I know some of the comments came from Rob Carr. I do not know which one, some of the commands of what to do, because he was to my right, right there next to me. And there are pictures showing that. And all these other people, you know, my son and grandson, my pacer, who in the video, he's very excited <laughs> and pointing and chewing me in like I was going to quit, right? <laughs> and uh, so all these people are there, but I know Rob Carr was like right next to me. And I think he is the one that gave me most of those pointers. Wow. You know, by the time you probably hit mile 30, you start to get into a little bit of a delusional state at times. So by the time you're at mile 98, 99, I can only imagine that you're running on something beyond yourself. I was that day. Um, I was never delusional or anything. I mean, the whole thing is an exercise in trying to will your mind to do the thing that you demand of it. And a lot of training truly, truly is the mind, is the firm belief that you can do that and that you can overcome any obstacle short of, you know, a bone sticking out from a big fall or something like that, or, or getting totally incapacitated by, you know, stomach issues or what have you. I mean, people fail due to circumstances beyond their control. And I don't mean to take away from all of that, you know, but for me, I was whole in one piece and, and I was moving and I had trained well and I had trained my head. There was no reason not to do that. It was just applying myself and asking my body to do what's necessary. Wow. I think we can all learn a lot from this because a lot of people and myself included will complain, you know, towards the end of a 5k. And, uh, I mean, it's all the same. It's, it's about willing your mind to do the thing you demand of it. I love that quote. I think, uh, I think this was a very special race and you have without this being your intention brought so much inspiration to so many people who like to tell themselves they can't before they give themselves a chance to even try. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, 
maybe I would like to know just a little bit about your background. We can all hear a little bit of an accent, I think. Um, maybe you can tell us about where you grew up and how you found running. Okay. Um, I grew up in Germany. I was born July 2nd, 1944, which makes me 71. And Western States is just like a week before my birthday. So, <laughs> but anyways, I um, grew up in Germany. I uh, got married at age 18 in, to an American GI and came to America in 1963. Raised four kids eventually got divorced and then eventually got remarried to uh, my best friend for life and until he passed away eight years ago and we were runners both of us and I started running back when I was uh, still raising kids there's here in Spokane this race called Bloomsday it's a 12k and it attracts uh, 50,000 runners and Spokane isn't that big a city. It's like, you know, 200, 250,000 inhabitants. But it, 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 and the race was founded by Olympian Don Cardon. And the first race, the inaugural, happened in 1977. I did not know about it. Uh, that winter, I took a ski conditioning class because we took our kids skiing and I thought oh I need to get fit and in that class the instructor said after the hour exercise was over anybody who wanted to do a little more she would just turn her boombox on and we could run circles around the track we would could go 10 minutes one direction and 10 minutes another direction that wasn't a track it was just the floor of the gym and we were told if you do 24 laps around the gym you will have gone a mile I thought, oh, that sounds easy. That we can do. I can do that. So, uh, and my son, the runner son who paced me, he was in that class with me, the only one of my four children. <laughs> and so we started jogging, walking around this track, around this gym. And there was uh, three ladies in that class that knew about the Bloomsday the year before and had participated and uh, started talking about it. And it's the first Sunday in May every year. I Oh, that sounds like fun. I bet you I could do that. So <laughs> in this class, and just to tell, to show you and the listeners that I'm really no special person, no special talent. I'm like everybody else. But it took me six weeks of circling that silly gym before I could go one mile without stopping to walk or getting a side ache. That is amazing. And you know what? That will help so many people who decide that they're going to give up after two weeks. Just keep trying. That's it. And again, ask your body. You know, your mind needs to know it can do it and tell the body to do and then it just everything falls into place, whether you're trying to go a mile or a hundred miles, and whether you're running or whether you're walking. The, the thing is to do something purely for yourself, and you have to sometimes learn to enjoy it. I know some people go out there, oh, I don't like this. Give it a couple of months. Sometimes they say six weeks, two months, I say three months, and B, it's a job for three months. 
And it's a, it, you put it on your calendar and you grab a friend, you recruit somebody to go out with and you go out and walk and maybe you jog a little bit. You know, you might walk five minutes and throw in a one minute jog or from one telephone to the next. And you gradually, without getting hurt, increase that. And by the time three months comes along, heck, you're ready to sign up for your first 5K. And that's I love that. how a runner is born. And that is, and thank you for sharing that because now you've created a new bar for, for someone else to try to achieve someday if they're crazy enough when they turn 70 to think that they can go under 30 hours at the Western States. Oh, that'll happen. I know that'll happen. And I'll be, I'll celebrate it. I will. And I'll be the first one to congratulate that person. And, you know, all records are made to be broken. So there's no resting on one's laurels. Well, we have, you know, we've had a great talk today. And I'm so glad that you got to, we got to share your story with many listeners who can't even imagine running, you know, when they're 70. However, most people want to continue to run as they go through their lives. So I wondered if you have, you know, this is a question I like to ask everybody on the show. Uh, My podcast is called Run This World. And in the end, I ask them to share one nugget, one thing that has helped them make it so far in their lives that will help our listeners run their worlds in bigger and better ways than they did before. So can you think of one piece of advice that you'd like to pass on to our listeners? Oh, wow. (laughs) Um, Put your mind to whatever it is you want to do and don't give up. I love it. It sounds exactly like you. (laughs) You know, next time we're going to have to have you on and talk about injuries and all kinds of other fun stuff, burnout and all those things that we want to avoid as we get older. So you promise me you'll come on again and we'll do some more uh, nitty gritty. Sure. Great. Well, thanks so much for being on my show today. You are an insane inspiration and uh, I'm so glad now to call you friend. Thank you so much. I think it's awesome and I'm so privileged to have been on your podcast and I look forward to chatting with you again. All right. Thank you, Gunhild. Have a great run tomorrow. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) Wow. Isn't Gunhild amazing? I don't know many people who start running and have a goal of thrashing their bodies and being done in like two years. Pretty much everyone I know wants to run through their entire life. I think Gunhild's story really helps reinforce the fact that you can. So as I mentioned before, please go on to NicoleDeBoom.com, check out the YouTube link to Gunhild's amazing Western States finishing video. And if you want to connect with her, go to her Facebook page. Um, she loves making new friends and she's very accessible. So check her out there. So that's the end of the episode. And if you enjoyed it, please go to iTunes and write a review, share it with your friends, someone who needs a little inspiration to get out there and move his or her own life forward as we all are. As you can see from Gunhild's example, you can start any time in life. All right, folks, you know what time it is. It's time to go out there and run this world. Have a great workout and I'll see you next week.